Deezer Originals. This is Defending in Numbers. All right, kids, stop attacking people with words and start defending in numbers. Am I right, guests who haven't spoken yet? Yeah, they're very impressed. This, of course, is the podcast where we walk down the corridor of uncertainty, pretending to know a little bit more about football than we really do. My name is Rob Armstrong and I'm just a schmuck. My, I form my opinions out of nothing, pure emotion, passion, no facts or stats at all. But that's not like the most electrifying man in football statistics. George Ellick, how Hi. you doing? Yeah, good mate, good to be back. Still just football statistics, not football, I'm afraid. Oh, all right, well, I better type my notes there. <laughs> um, yeah, I've no, got a few stats ready for us today. And then in the other corner of the room, he's checked himself out of Smackdown Hotel. He's taken a left out of Jabroni Avenue to get here. The anchor man cometh once again. Carl Anker, how are you? Football stats for life. <laughs> for s- life. <laughs> Too sweet, brother. <laughs> and of course, hello to all of you listening on Deezer or iTunes or all the other places where podcasts go from a computer thing to your ears, to your brain. And that's how science works. And what do you need for science? Numbers. Loads so of them. Let's go for week by numbers. The week by numbers. First number of the week, the number 40, which is the number of points won by English clubs in the Champions League so far this season. English clubs are back, by all accounts, until we get to the knockout stages. Uh, this is the highest combined total of any European nation. And between Chelsea, Spurs, Man City, Liverpool and and Man United, they were unbeaten in 15 games until Chelsea blew it on Tuesday night. Uh, so I said sort of English clubs are back in the Champions League. We've been a bit ropey for a few years. Are we actually back or is it just the case that the groups have been sort of favourable to us? I'd say a mix of both, in my opinion. I think that European football generally is in a bit of a state of flux. Um, I think that if you look around the best or the biggest teams in Europe, maybe, um, the likes of Barcelona and uh, Bayern Munich, certainly they're, they're not the forces that they once were. And that's coupled with the fact that these new managers you mentioned who've now been in the job for a year or two, the likes of Klopp, Mourinho, obviously Conte settling very quickly, Guardiola, they're now you know in a position where they can stamp their authority somewhat more upon upon their team. Um, and I'd say the English clubs are therefore um, looking a bit stronger. And I mentioned as well for Celtic, because I mean, even though they're yet to um, win a game in the Champions League, they certainly deserved at least a point yesterday. Oh, they beat Anderlecht. They beat Anderlecht, sorry. I, 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 forget, I forget the game, that in, my, that in my opinion, didn't matter. But, um, but uh, in their two big games, if you look at their game last night against Bayern Munich um, at home, they certainly deserve something out of that game. So I do think that, looking at it in the moment, that, um, that yeah, British football in general is in, in a good spot in European terms. Whether or not that's because of the, the maybe weakness of teams around Europe, I'm not sure. None of us are PSG though, are we, Carl? Like, let's stick a little asterisk on that stat. Yes, it's the highest combined total, but we do have one more club from an English nation in there. All right, we've got five. That's a great stat as well. Um, just, just like a small... A small five, little. not four, yeah. We've got five, not four. Quick maths. Um, English clubs are, you know, we've got the money, we've got the, we've got the good managers. If you think the last time Manchester United uh, made it to the knockout rounds of the Champions League, their manager was David Moyes. Uh, last time they made it to the Champions League club legend pretty much I mean, it's been the last time they, last, yeah the last time they made it was under Van Gaal who played Nick Powell in the centre of midfield another club legend yep doing very well uh, at Wigan at the moment so similarly the last big runs for Chelsea was uh, under Jose when they were all in outright revolt uh, Spurs now have matured the, the, the best managers 
seem to gravitate towards the Premier League now because it's the global market which tends to help and now you, they're all in the second season so they've all got the okay I finally got this strange English man to understand <laughs> what he's supposed to do in the 60th minute of a game um, so they're all resurgent and also a lot of the big European clubs as as George pointed out a lot of these big European clubs they are on the way down so uh, clubs like Bayern Munich clubs like Juventus they they went all in to try and win a Champions League two or three seasons ago uh, you know, in Bayern's case, it was successful. In Juve's case, they got to two finals. And now the all-in phase has sort of ended and they've got a lot of ageing internationals in their squad that they can't shift. Whereas, you know, if you look at cities right now, City's makeup is fantastic. It's young, it's youthful, it's vibrant. Uh, I'm not quite sure if any of these clubs are going to make it to the semi-finals. If any of them are, it's going to be City. But let's just enjoy it. I want to see. I want to see Liverpool give someone the jet ski wave and play 4-3 again. Let's do that. <laughs> <laughs> Let's cover our tracks given that we're recording this on Wednesday. Let's say, uh, oh, well, of course it was 40, but now it's 49. And then I'll say again, oh, of course it was 40, but now it's 46 points. And I'll also say, oh God, there's so many options. Basically, this is a Wednesday morning, listeners. It's a Thursday for you, but what am I, the day police? <laughs> <laughs> also, <laughs> oh, Chelsea. <laughs> oh, Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, good defending that. Good bit of defending. But, but, it's, but it's, I mean, that is a, a, a worrying sign for them because I think any form they've had in that group is now out of the window, really. Atleti um, failing to put Carabag away in two yeah. games. It's um, amazing. You know, the Carabag, I mean, that home win against Carabag now looks better, of course, but that game they've got to go there next is looks a very difficult tie now. Ten man Carabag, um, twice. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And uh, and Roma, who were obviously absolutely pummeled in that 0-0 draw in the first game against Madrid Atleti, now look like the, the form team in the group. So, you know, difficult times for Chelsea in the Premier League. It looked like they were doing okay in Europe after that amazing win in Spain. But I think now, if you're looking at it, that, that group looks like one of the weakest in the, in the competition. All right, let's move on to the next number. The number one. My God, what a number. And only one player has managed both a hat-trick of goals and a hat-trick of assists so far this season. And it's none other than last week's, who's this fella? Chiro Immobile. Immobile. Chiro Immobile. Or Ciro Immobile. (laughs) (laughs) To anyone English who's listening. Uh, He's the outright top goal scorer in Europe's top five leagues this season. He's scored 14 goals now. Scored his 14th in Lazio's 5-1 win against Benevento. Uh, Basically... Is Serie back? We were talking about Roma's form there. Is Serie A back as kind of the one of the stronger leagues in the top five? Because I think it's taken a few years out, and you think of the years of sort of Milan dominance and things like that. But we've had Juventus come along in the last few years. Obviously, Inter won it as well. Juventus have come along in the last few years. They had the final a couple of years ago. They've had their five years on top of Serie A, and now it looks like they've got competition. You look at teams like Napoli, who look like a, a wonderful team to watch. You've got Chiro Mobley coming and banging against uh, Benevento, then Roma being the form team of that group. Serie A has that reputation of no one scores any goals, right? But then last year, wasn't there more goals scored in Serie A than any of the other leagues? Yeah, it's getting it's rising. So traditionally, the Bundesliga is where you go for goals. The goal rate in the Bundesliga dropped to something, you know, from something like a two point. For 2.64 average per game to something like 2.2. Uh, part of that is because the Premier League is buying more strikers and attacking players from the Bundesliga. And part of it is also because like the gen-gen press system and the system of packing, which is this tactic of uh, how many pa- how many players can you take out the game with a pass is like f- filtering down to lower leagues. Um, and I think those tactics are now being adopted by Italy. So you've got 
younger, more uh, open-minded managers taking over. You, I mean, you look at Napoli right now. Napoli are playing similar to how... With Dortmund, a young manager. Yeah, with, <laughs> Sorry. A, with a relatively young manager. Napoli are playing similar now to how Dortmund were playing in their, like, the football hipster heyday. You've got Dries Merton, who's a, he's a... He's, you know, that was a freak accident because the, the plan was they were going to use Milik to replace Higuain and then they, Milik got hurt and they went right and they used Dries Merton who was a conventionally like a 10 as as the point of you as the tip of the spear and now they've like this free-flowing fantastic attacking unit um, it does also help that Juve are slightly on the wane because a lot of their players are getting older you know Bonucci left uh, Buffon's in maybe probably going to be in his last season he said he's going to leave unless they win the Champions League which isn't going to happen Higuain looks more like Gavin Higuain rather than Gonzalo Higuain <laughs> um, Gav. so, poor, poor Gavin so listening Gavin just everywhere yeah. <laughs> any Gavin any Gavin's listen just hey don't worry about it's it it's good we're comparing you to Higuain yeah, yeah exactly yeah. we're calling yeah. you Higuain not Higuain you it, 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 it's a bit like when uh, so around like a decade ago it looked like Lyon was going to win Ligue 1 forever and ever and ever so they won seven in a row and then all of a sudden PSG turned up uh, Marseille turned up this kid called Eden Hazard turned up for Lille uh, and Bordeaux showed up and I think that's what's going to happen now I think maybe one of these Italian clubs is going to get a deep run into the Champions League semi-final but the real intrigue is going to be within Serie A rather than in what they do in Europe. Yeah, George, is it, is it kind of the end for Juve? I think there was a few people talking last night about Atletico as well. Like maybe this team's sort of had their had their time, they've done their thing, now it's in that state where it has to change and begin again. Are Juve in a similar situation? They're five, I think it's five years in a yeah. row. I mean, I think Juve are in a, in a good position where they're playing Benevento on Saturday, which, which should um, see them boost their confidence with a nice resounding win. You'd have thought Benevento, obviously, pointless so far. Um, ouch. But, um, ouch. Well, no, pointless, pointless club. They're literally pointless yeah. after 11 games. Um, 11 games and not. Oh, my Lord. And, uh, and I, I think, so, I, you know, we've been here many, many times before in, in early November, either saying teams have already won the league or, or saying they're finished uh, with only to have egg on our face when you do realise you're only 10 or so games into the season. So I think it's too early to talk of a club who who I think were the best team in the Champions League up until the final last year and have been consistently good in, in Syria. So I, and I think Allegri's earned enough um, kind of clout and respect from, from us to think that he'll probably be able to turn it around with the quality of that squad. Having said that, the big difference in Syria, and you mentioned the Inter one, obviously under Jose Mourinho, um, you know, six or seven years ago, is, is that Syria has always been a bit of a non-contest. As Carl said, there's always been a standout club, whereas I think this is the first time for well over a decade where there are kind of probably four or five clubs who could win it. Um, you know, you've got Napoli and Juve, obviously two front runners, but Lazio have been in absolutely fantastic form. Um, Inter are playing very, very well this season as well. Milan as well. So I think there are, and, and even the likes of kind of At- Atalanta, a, a very, very strong outfit um, who we saw absolutely demolish uh, Everton in, in, the, in the Europa League at their place. 2-0 is one of the most dominating 2-0 wins I've ever seen um, so I think that you you have to just look at Syria as, as, a, as a group becoming much much stronger now um, as opposed to being necessarily that one team I do think that you know their coefficient maybe to, we, we can expect to rise in future <laughs> years because the strength of the, of the league now looks much much stronger Who's uh, who's taking the hit on the old coefficient? Well, it won't be us now judging by our first stat will it? So, of course those um, 40 41 42 43 44 45 yeah. 46 47 48 49 <laughs> fill in where appropriate points we've got at the end of Wednesday um, 
All right, let's move on to our next. Do you know what? I completely forgot Juve were in the Champions League final last year. I said that Champions League final they had a couple of years ago, thinking of the Barca one. Yeah. Completely forgot about the Champions League final last year. What, what? Did, didn't concede a goal in the run. Like, did Man, they concede Man, two goals or unbelievable something? Unbelievable goal as well. Manzikic. Oh, he's, that's, that's, I think it's one of the best Champions League final goals ever. That goal was amazing because the ball doesn't touch the ground until it, from, from the beginning of the attacking play, doesn't touch the ground. And when Manzukic hits the volley, his standing foot is still touching the ground. <laughs> You can't tell me X-Men aren't real. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've got, I've got it, didn't it? It just leaves any Stoke fan with a semi around the world. And on that note, let's move to number eight, which is the number of points Real Madrid have fallen behind Barcelona in the La Liga table, which has never, that uh, amount of points has never been made up by Real Madrid before. Uh, basically, Zidane... Looks like he's fallen short so far this season after two basically untouchable years, back-to-back Champions Leagues. He finally got that La Liga last year. They went a good time without one. Uh, but now a few of the old sort of problems around Madrid that we might have seen four or five years ago look like they've come back, look a little bit complacent. They're losing games they shouldn't do. They lost to... Uh, that tiny team Girona, Girona. yeah Girona that who have tiny all the Mans- team they're basically Man City D team Man City, so, yeah. I wouldn't call yeah, that Man tiny City's team academy they've got um, you know they've got some affluence they can call upon let's just say that <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. but we, we know what their their chairman's like uh, at Real Madrid how, how long does Zidane have before he's crudely struck down um, I, I, it's an interesting one Florentino Perez did say he loves and adores Zidane and he would not he said he would not fire him if he finished the season trophyless. He said this a couple of weeks ago. Um, but Florentino Perez is... Not trustworthy? He's he's like a hornet's nest. He's, <laughs> he's, yeah, yeah he's, a, he's a very peculiar character is the best way I'm going to put that. Uh, it, it is a very interesting thing because Zidane is the perfect man to manage Real Madrid. So he is the perfect buffer between fans' hatred of the board and fans' hatred of players and whatever, because he's he's done it all. He's won everything for Real Madrid, so Real Madrid fans should love him. Um, he also has the... He's perfectly placed to manage that team because if any player in the Real Madrid squad goes, oh, why should I do this? He's like, I'm Zinedine Zidane, do it. Um, so you read stories of how uh, he was having a conversation with Cristiano Ronaldo about free kick technique. Um, so there's a, there is a worry that uh, if Ronaldo keeps hitting free kicks using a knuckleball technique, he's going to do... He's done it for 10 years. And you, mm. Well, the, the belief is if he, keeps, if he keeps doing it, he's going to keep, he's gonna, you know, ruin his knees. Because it puts a lot of pressure on his knees. So Zidane, Hill, Hills will never score. Yeah, Zidane <laughs> tried giving him an argument about why he should try doing it in step like uh, Beckham and, and Ronaldo's like, rah, 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 rah. And Messi. Yeah, uh, Ronaldo's rah, 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 and then Zidane pretty much had a free kick tournament with him in the thing. Mm. Uh, you've heard stories of managers having competitions with their players before and it turning really, really badly. So earlier this season, Frank the Bull was doing tricks and skills and now he's not got a job at Crystal Palace. <laughs> uh, but Zidane can do that, Real Madrid, because he's Zidane. Um, in regards to problems with Real Madrid, BBC isn't firing, Bale is injured again, Ronaldo's in poor form because, you know, he, I don't want to say he barely got any preseason, but he's not he's not looking great. He obviously got suspended as well. He will start firing again because he's Cristiano Ronaldo and he's arguably the greatest goal scorer in modern football history. Uh, and Benzema is in horrible form right now. Um, it's really interesting what's going on in Spain right now because a lot of the attacking players are playing as if they've got the World Cup hangover, but there hasn't been a World Cup yet. So Suarez is another striker who's in terrible form right now. Um, and, you know, they sold Morata. They sold... 
they sold a lot of their depth. Zidane's never been in a position where it's been hard before. It's a bit like when you're in football manager and you win everything using Manchester City and then all of a sudden the computer figure out, figures out who do the same tactic home and away and then you've got to figure it all out on the fly. <laughs> that's so, exactly what it's like managing Real Madrid. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like anyone who plays football manager, that's what it's like. Yeah. <laughs> but I think the other thing, just with Zidane, we've said it before, I've said it on this, on this show before, that considering what he's done, um, he doesn't get necessarily the, the, the plaudits as a great coach as you think he would purely because you wonder how much of it's down to him. You look at Real Madrid and, you, and they're not that kind of all-conquering dominant team and say that um, Barcelona were under, under Guardiola. And I think that therefore it's not that surprising that this has happened. Um, the flip side of that means that I, I don't see any benefit in, for Real Madrid to... Um, to sack him I think that almost their poor start to the season could be their saving grace I think that if they got far into competitions and then fell at the final hurdles that would probably uh, come off worse on Zidane than it mm. is now where, where he's in this position at the moment so I think that and, and the other thing to remember is that in, in England as English football fans we look at success we, we look at longevity as a, as a measure of success we look at Ferguson and Wenger and the, the fact that they've been at these clubs for so long as, as a marker of how well they must have done I mean you hear people who defend Wenger the whole time saying he's been here for 20 years you know he's done an amazing job but in, in Spain that culture isn't the same in Spain managerial stints are four or five years max and so it wouldn't surprise me at all if at the end of the season it kind of suits everyone if, if Zidane moves on um, or moves upstairs to a more kind of director of football role or and just ambassadorial role I, I, that's how I'd see it going. Do you don't you think it just stay at Real Madrid forever yeah, and ever, yeah. but in a more easy I job? I, I, can't, I can't really see him going to another club as no. manager, really. Imagine the fallout if Perez sacks, outwardly sacks yeah. Zidane, because it, it's it, it's like if Manchester United end up sacking David Moyes. Or just sacked Fergie and sent him yeah, over. If, if they sacked Fergie, or yeah. if they sacked uh, it, Bobby it, Charlton, yeah, you can't you can't sack a club legend yeah. openly like that. Bobby, we feel like you've done a really bad job as club ambassador for the last forty years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, it, if worse comes to worse, it'll be a quiet. Uh, thanks for that. Do you wanna you wanna have this nice cushy job as an ambassador role selling Real Madrid to this emerging market? And then Perez walks out of the room with a head shaped hole in his chest. <laughs> <laughs> um, on to the next one, number 46, and we're talking Anthony Martial. This is all for you, Cole, your, your best man. Uh, he's either scored or assisted a goal in the Premier League every 46 minutes, uh, which obviously has given him that sort of, uh, it, it, what is it? It's kind of like a bittersweet title of super sub. Yep. Obviously, every manager wants to have one. No player really wants to be one. But you can't argue with the fact that he has been a super sub so far. Uh, won a penalty on Tuesday night, missed the penalty. Maybe he should have come off the bench, he would have scored it, right? <laughs> Maybe it's a psychological thing. Carl, talk to me about Anthony Martial for uh, as long as you possibly can. I think he's fantastic. <laughs> with no I, breaths. I think he's fantastic. There's a great section of Twitter called Martial FC, which pretty much any time the team liner comes out and he's not on it, we we'd like scream and anytime he scores <laughs> it's all caps Marshall FC be right um, what happened after the penalty uh, Marshall FC was was disappointed but Marshall <laughs> FC will, will forgive him he won it with supreme skill um, my favourite thing about Marshall and I've said this before is he doesn't smile he just doesn't smile he's just a cold killer which and, makes and it, when he does he looks really weird yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's more it must be terrifying for a defender knowing that this guy all he's interested in is breaking your ankles making you look foolish and he doesn't smile after he does doesn't it doesn't even enjoy it just cold killer uh, there was a bit in the 4-0 win at the start of the season where he scored a goal and Phil Jones is going come on mate smile and he, Marshall's not 
He's like, no, not like, like the Anton Chigurh yeah. of ankles. Yeah, I just break the fullbacks' backs. Um, <laughs> I think he's fantastic. I would love, I would love one day to have Lukaku at, at top, up the top, and then Rashford and Martial either side. It seems as if that's not going to happen because Mourinho prefers to have uh, a ten-like figure on one side to be that uh, Juan Mata or Mkhitaryan. Um, and the thing about it is having Rashford and Martial in direct competition from that wide area, they're both, if one of them doesn't score, the other one tends to off the bench because both of those kids are going, right, I have to I have to go for it. I have to break this person's ankles and whatever. So you got, you had Martial uh, win the first penalty and then you had Rashford pretty much win the second one because they're, they're in direct competition for each other. Um, iron seems to sharpen iron. Um, going to Chelsea, I'll probably start Rashford because Rashford... Rashford's more direct in his play. He doesn't quite have the the attacking technical skill of Martial right now, but that directness and that sort of no never fear kind of suits taking on that basic back three of Gary Cahill and whoever. And then if you bring Martial later on when everything's getting a bit knackered, then you know you can hopefully not make someone afterwards. I mean, that, that, that's you've touched on my only concern. I'm, I'm a huge Martial fan as well, and I th- and I think that. The way he was treated last season, having been United's top Premier League goal scorer in his first season, it was really, really sad because um, I think that may have set him back a bit. But he's he's looking fantastic now, even though Jose still is is pretty loath to uh, to start him as we're mentioning. But I do think that possibly Rashford is a better foil for for Lukaku. Um, which I think the Martial and Lukaku maybe don't work as well together. Rashford's kind of better at coming inside with the ball and creating that space for Lukaku to run in behind defences, which is so important for him. Whereas I feel like Martial maybe takes up those positions a bit more further forward. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that when Martial's on the pitch, a lot of United's play goes through him. Whereas with Rashford, he's more adept at kind of finding pockets of space in order to um, maybe sometimes play into Lukaku with back to goal or it just gives them a few more options basically and so I do think that maybe at the moment I'm sure that'll change in the future I think that Rashford starting Martial off the bench is a is a wise um, tactic just to ensure that Lukaku can find can use his just incredible pace basically to get in behind defenders which we haven't seen enough this season maybe it's because United so often play against teams with a, with a very deep bat line but um, you know Lukaku his best for Everton was, was that player who used to just scamper past defences and use that absolute rocket of a shot How long does Martial put up with it though? Uh, we'll see after the World Cup um, if if Martial gets to the World Cup and has a good uh, tournament then I'm assuming one of the I said one of the bigger clubs so we're talking like a Real Madrid or we're talking like a, a, a Monaco or a PSG or whatever we'll probably see what's up because he is I, th- I, I think he's Manchester United's best natural attacking player in terms of technical ability and what he can do he had a bad year last season where it looked like his first touch had just eroded and now what happens when you don't play yeah and now he's brought it back I think my favourite moment this season in all of Manchester United play was when Martial nutmegged uh, Andros Townsend and Townsend immediately yeah. just stopped playing <laughs> like, oh, I don't want to do this anymore <laughs> which which is good that is street football you get nutmegged you have two options you can either foul the guy immediately or immediately stop playing because you've been embarrassed I mean uh, Barcelona needs um, wide players um, shockingly that it doesn't look like the Gerard Delefeo deal um, is going <laughs> to is going to pay off for them so uh, and he would suit them being able to play in that in that front three as well because he could basically play across it so I wouldn't be surprised to see uh, if he does move on to see interest from from uh, from Barcelona. Okay, and on to the final number, number nine. And today, redemption is spelt Raheem. After all his critics in all the years, 
Uh, he's scored more than any other Manchester City player so far in all competitions this season. Ruining my fantasy football. Ruining my fantasy football team. Because no one put him in there because yeah. nobody rates him. Because <laughs> for some reason, everyone hates Raheem Sterling. But one person who doesn't is Pep Guardiola, who's got in his ear, I got, uh, who's got in his ear over the last two years and made him some kind of sublime super beast. Uh, he's yeah, he's absolutely smashing it for Man City. And there, people were talking about him leaving in summer. Uh, and I think there was like some talk over a swap deal of mm-hmm. some sort with Arsenal, but <laughs> that was never going to be a thing. It, it, isn't, it, isn't it so typical to think that if he had gone to Arsenal, there's just no way he'd be playing as well as he is now? No way. Absolutely <laughs> not. There are so many players yeah. that I'm glad didn't go to Arsenal because <laughs> they wouldn't be the players they are today. And their confidence and but it's just, it, soul would be sucked out of them. This is my, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a broken record for people who listen to me talking about football too much, but this is what is just wrong with England fans consistently is we've got this amazing talent in Raheem Sterling who's just so good at football who's properly top tier he's an absolute talent and he's incredible and yet there's you know the hype around him for England he's still unbelievably young he's playing for a team that I think have a massive chance of winning the Champions League this season he's their top scorer in all competitions he's he's absolutely mega he's a huge talent who could do so many things for our country and yet we treat him with disdain and at best a shrug of the shoulders really and we have so much it's just, it's just a shame. I, I think he's absolute class. I think the way he's adapted his game is amazing. He's, he's young enough to get stronger still. Um, he's got so many facets to the game, whether or not it's on the ball, whether it's his passing ability, which has changed massively. He was so direct at Liverpool and now he you know, he keeps the ball very well. Guardiola's trained him into this player. I think that he is a massive, massive talent who we should um, you know, embrace fully. Yeah, and not just have a go at because he did laughing gas when he was 17. I mean, it's yeah. unbelievable. Or told Roy Hodgson he was tired. <laughs> Which is fair. Um, I wrote after the Euros. I wrote an article. Uh, I hate Raheem. Uh, no, yeah. which was said we need to talk about Raheem Sterling, and it simply talked about how certain players in English football uh, get more scorn than others based on whatever, whatever. Like you can line up a, you can line up an English eleven, and you can pretty much tell which ones the tabloids are like. We're just going to write about his shopping trips all the time. Uh, <clears throat> the reason for it, I ascertained, was because he was. Uh, and obviously because he left uh, Liverpool, which is not, he, you know, he was very poorly advised when he left Liverpool, but he's fantastic. And I think credit to him for getting his head down and and kicking on. And also, this, is, this also shows like the strength of Pep Guardiola. I know it's kind of fun to take the mickey out of Pep, but if you read any of the stories about what he's done with Raheem Sterling. So last season, Pep Guardiola was... Uh, very frustrated with uh, Raheem ten- uh, Raheem's tendency to drift centrally. Um, so on the training pitch, he essentially got a pot of white paint and painted a dot in the final third. And he told Raheem, whenever you are in doubt as to where to stand, stand on the dot. Because I need you. <laughs> like, that's, that's just what I need you to do this season. Get on that dot. Just stand there. Because last season, Manchester City had loads of problems with fullback. So he needed Raheem Sterling to offer width. Um, now that's been completely remedied on the other side because now they've got Mendy, Carl Walker, uh, Danilo, Fabian Delph, uh, Fabian Delph, who's a mate, who's also another player who's been coached and turned into like baby uh, <laughs> Philip Lahm. <laughs> um, so now Raheem Sterling can uh, tuck inside more and drift in centrally and, do, and work in those pockets of space. I think he's off the ball running is superb now. If you look at his stats, I think of the nine goals he's scored, I think all of them happened inside the box. He's scoring. 
he's getting closer to the six yard box. Strikers finishes. Yeah, strikers finishes, which is great because he had that weird thing when he was at Liverpool where he couldn't kick the ball properly. <laughs> yeah, he sort of like any time he shot the ball, it came off his heel, it's which al- was weird. Always been a final ball thing with him, yeah. hasn't it? Whereas now he's just doing one shot, one there goal, was one, one brilliant finish. I mean, it was when. In a game there where there was so much class, I mean, mainly by Kevin De Bruyne in the Stoke game, his finish there at the back post was just, it was so calm. Like the yep. ball got squared to him, he had time to think about it. There was a man running across on the line. He just picked his spot, hit it low. Yep. You, you never would have seen that a couple of years ago. He's crossing less. He's running with the ball less. He's scoring a lot more. Uh, there's uh, There was a comment, I think, after the West Brom game where he made mention of his mum saying he doesn't score enough goals. Uh, and his mum's saying, just like, get closer to the, just get closer. Uh, and like four of his goals in the league have been like from the six yard area. Um, and I, you know, I looked up another stat about how Garlo told him this season, if you have the ball, don't lose the ball. I don't ask you to dribble. I don't ask for good crosses. I don't ask for good cr- shots. Just do the very basics because Pep now has spent all the money to get the crosses and whatever given to him by other players. So crosses are going to be whipped in by Kyle Walker. The dribbling is going to be provided by Kevin De Bruyne and David Silva. So all Sterling has to focus on is off the ball runs and tapping it in. Just, to, I mean, just to look at a final point on the psyche of, of of English football fans and Raheem Sterling. I was looking at the odds the other day on um, Young Player of the Year awards, and Gabriel Jesus is favourite. Leroy Sane, second favourite. Like, where's Raheem? Surely he still qualifies for that. Like, where is he? Why? Why? How old is he? Twenty two. He's twenty two. He won the Golden Boy. Right? Yeah. He won the award of this is the best young player in Europe. Yeah. Why? You know. So why? Where? That's all. You know. It's the Premier League. He is playing as much as those two players. He's scoring more than those two players. You know what? The amount of the amount of smoke we blow up young English players' asses, or laughing gas we blow up young English players' asses. <laughs> and, yeah. Exactly. What was it? What was it? I think that one newspaper called him a footballing idiot. Uh, well, he's not. He's very clearly one of the most intelligent players in like the attacking third in England right now. And that's why when we were, when we win the World Cup in Russia next year and Raheem Ziff in the trophy, as <laughs> captain, you can't cheer. We can cheer. You can't cheer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It is weird that the people think he's in it because he seems. I think because he came into the scene so young. I think you can say it about every footballer basically that gets too much exposure now. Like, how would you have behaved with loads of money of course, when you were seventeen? Would you blame him? <laughs> Why would anyone care? What did, do, what did he do? So the thing about the Liverpool move, and this is, I think, this is a lot. The, the, the we went from going he's great to going he's terrible after Liverpool move. So Brendan Rodgers calls Raheem Sterling one of the best young players in Europe. Right, he's fantastic. He's amazing. He do everything. Brendan Rodgers has some problems in Liverpool. He starts playing Raheem Sterling at wing back. Sterling's going, all right, all right. I just came off playing up with Sturridge and and uh, Suarez, Suarez yeah. and now you're playing at wing back because you want to play Ricky Lambert. Like a lot of my plays based on the fact I'm really really quick, and also if I'm playing this many games for Liverpool and I'm playing really really quick, I'm probably not going to be playing in my thirties. What are my chances of getting in Champions League? What are my chances of winning trophies? And this is everything he said in those interviews to the BBC and whatever. And then was like, oh, he said he should know his place. He should calm down and the money will come in Liverpool. He's like, no, like I'm going to, I'm yeah. probably only going to get a decade of playing football and I want to win trophies. Could you please not play me at right wing back? <laughs> I think I think yesterday, uh, anyone who watched Pedro playing at right wing back after William came on, I think that's the death of wingers playing at wing back because uh, <laughs> I think we can all agree that just doesn't work. Being you, or you play wide and, you, and then you're quick, right? We'll stick you basically as our, as our number as our only full back at heart of the pitch. Works for Mikel Antonio. Just look at <laughs> that ended up on Saturday. Brilliant defensive nouse. Um, bless him. He's a good player, but we love was... we love Raheem. We love Raheem. Yeah. We love Antonio. We, we even love, love Pedro. Backs. We love. <laughs> yeah. We love. And, and, and we love. Misplaced wingbacks. 
Um, let's move on to our next section with a catchy jingle that's going to say, I'm embarrassed to ask. I'm embarrassed to ask. All right then, lads. Confession time from me. I've used the phrase false nine before without really knowing what it is. Uh, Lionel Messi this year is showing the world what it is, but I still don't really understand tactically what difference it is from just playing up front. George, you've raised a finger Well, yeah, because I know that Carl's about to go in depth into this and I'm looking forward to it. But I just want to quickly say that quite suitably considering this I'm, I'm not convinced that I, mean, I know lots of people talk about it, I'm not convinced that Messi is playing as a force nine really I think that kind of supports all this because he's because, not because, I mean everyone's talking about but Suarez is playing as, as their striker and he's basically playing just in behind as like a 10 yeah. I think it's because they've stopped playing three up top which means that he's now dropped a bit more centrally than he was where he used to find that space on the right and kind of come inside from there he's now just playing in, in behind but yeah I, I think the fact that people think he's playing as a force nine Sums up why we need Carl to clear this up because I don't think he is. He's playing as a ten. He's playing as a second. He's playing as a second striker. He's doing what Burkamp did for Arsenal Mm. essentially because you know Barcelona are now playing this hybrid four four two formation, which I which I'm enjoying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They didn't score against Olympiacos because Suarez Suarez needs a rest. He looks knackered. Um, but they have to play him. They've got no one else to to do it. Really, have you you seen that? I think everyone's seen it. But that video of uh, Suarez when they played the game behind closed doors and you can hear everything they're saying and mm-hmm. Suarez is missing sitter after sitter after sitter and just like swearing at himself yep. incessantly. Uh, good for him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's, he's knackered. He's knackered. He's got a, Does he have a World Cup ahead? Did Uruguay qualify? Yeah. Yes. He's got a World Cup ahead of him and he's probably not enjoying that pressure. Uh, Usman Dembele get well soon. Mm. Uh, and Delefeo... Uh, Good luck. <laughs> but what is a false nine? Uh, a false nine is a very interesting tactic where your number nine, so your nominal striker, doesn't play as your tip of the spear, but rather drops deeper and goes into midfield to open up space for the players playing left and right of him and to let midfields rush on. Uh, it was first in- invented or used in the 1930s. So the 1930 uh, Uruguay World Cup team, the one that won the World Cup, uh, use the false nine. Uh, he unfortunately got injured in the first game, so that was the <laughs> so plan. It doesn't work. That was the plan. Uh, but the most, the mo- one of the most famous ones is the Austrian national team, uh, which had uh, Matthias Sildar. So Sildar dropped deep. Um, so this is the same time where everyone's playing the WM formation, and then this guy comes. I'm not gonna push up. So the advantage of the false nine is WU. W- the advantage of the false nine is. Yeah, with your main striker dropping deep, your the idea is the two opposing centre backs don't know whether to follow the nine and uh, mark him, which leaves even more space behind because the fullbacks are pushed back, or to stay back, which creates all this extra space in 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 front of them, which is where your midfields can attack. Um, so the Hungarian team had Natal Hilguk in it as a deep lying forward, um, Francesco Totti was the first great modern false nine. So when Totti's legs I don't even want to say fail him. When he just lost that half yard of pace, he was fantastic in 2006, 2007. Um, Which, given that he retired last year, was about 15 years ago. Yeah, yeah. like a decade ago, Totti was doing the false nine stuff. Um, Very interesting point to point out about Barcelona did popularise it with Messi. They first started using it with Eidegger Johnson in the 4-3-3. So Eidegger Johnson worked as a false nine um, on the Rijkaard. And then... Eventually it came to Messi. So uh, when Pep Guardiola took over at Barcelona, Messi was playing normally on the left and you had uh, David Villa possibly playing up top. I don't know. Oh, no, not David Villa. He bought Villa. Uh, they had Samuel Eto'o up top first. 
Uh, and then they went through those processes to have Ibrahimovic and then they had Villa and then Pep went to Messi. How do you feel about playing centrally? Uh, and what Pep noticed is if Messi stands... Uh, so rather than Messi standing as your tip of your spear, if he dropped down a little bit and moved to the left, uh, he created this weird space where the centre-back didn't know whether to cover him or, if, or the opposing left-back didn't know what to cover him. Uh, and that created loads of space for Iniesta and Xavi and David Villa and Pedro to just muck around in. Uh, and then worse come to worse, Messi could break someone's ankles and score himself. <laughs> um, it is a very good formation to use if you have a very talented, uh, technically good dribbling number nine. Um, so you don't want your traditional target men pe- people doing it. So very good uh, false nines are players like uh, Suarez. Suarez is a very good false nine at times for Liverpool. Uh, Ida Johnson can do it. Uh, Messi can do it. Totti can do it. Uh, players in the Premier League who I think could do a false nine right now. Ah, <laughs> uh, in theory, such audible thinking. In theory. Martial could be a good false nine for Manchester United if you were playing a 4-3-3 says the chairman of Martial FC says the chairman of Martial FC Um, it's it's a very hard and complex thing to do and the advantage of it you very much need very good wide players uh, and very intelligent uh, deep lying players so Manchester City could do it with ease you could have I think if if you're going to do a false nine in Manchester City you want Aguero as your false nine because he can He's strong, he's stocky, he can hold the ball up and he can, he's got very good dribbling ability. But I'm not, but I'm not sure he's got the tactical now to not try and take up those positions centrally, but yeah, in, theory, yeah. in theory it should work. It's it's but. it's a very selfless job and a lot of the false nine work, if you're doing it properly, people don't notice you because you're doing... I know we all invented the term pre-assist to make Jack Wilshire seem good, uh, but you're doing like the unseen assist where it's just simply because I'm standing here I've stood here that means the centre-backs move five yards that way which means that guy behind me can bomb on into that space it's a similar mentality to why Chelsea's 3-4-3 worked last season where just those those wide those uh, basically with two wingers just caused this weird space that defenders had never seen before and didn't know how to defend literally Marcus Alonso standing just standing there yeah. <laughs> at the top of the left just gave Hazard all that room and the fullback was like do I do I go to Alonso and cover him and then open out space for Hazard or do I go with Hazard and let Alonso come in it's the same thing it's just taking up that new position on the pitch which leaves defenders just thinking where, where do I go there is uh, something I, I, I like always point out to everyone watching a professional game of football is that any professional footballer you're seeing on TV has been doing that as a job as a living since the age of maybe nine um, so they've they've done they've done the same system, the same thing, the same sort of systems, which is why, you know, if a team overnight goes from playing a four at the back to a three at the back, all of a sudden their friends are going, I have no idea where I'm standing, what's going on. Which means this is why left footed players are so great because the defenders have are so used to playing right footed players that when a left footer comes around, they're like, I have to relearn it all like my the neural pathways aren't there. Um there is a lot to be said in football by just having an attacking player stand in the place that makes the defender go, What are you doing? Uh, what? Uh, Engolo uh, Kante is superb at getting in, like in a midfield level. Engolo Kante is superb at getting interceptions for other players just by standing in a certain position because it makes other players freak out because they know Engolo Kante is very good. Um, so yeah, don't do a false nine at Sunday League this week. It's really hard to learn and coach. So just enjoy it in FIFA and Football Manager. <laughs> well, I uh, Google the term neural pathways. <laughs> Someone play the jingle for who's this fella? Who's this fella? Lads, England won the World Cup last week. 
Yeah, we did. We won the World Cup and we collected about nine trophies at the end of it. We had the top scorer in... Don't, um, tell, don't, don't tell Danny Murphy that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I can't believe they wore their shirts the wrong way. How Absolutely how, outrageous. How dare they after I reaching mean, the pinnacle of their age? It is unbelievable. <laughs> after the summer we've had to go and ruin it all, all that success by turning a shirt around. Absolute crazy. <laughs> and to, to be fair, if anyone's going to talk about how to take international success and how to do it with respect, it's Danny Murphy. Yeah, yeah, who's yeah. obviously seen so much of it. Uh, we picked up all those trophies at the end, as in like the World Cup. Uh, top scorer, Rian Brewster. And then we got the best player of the tournament, Phil Foden, as well. Uh, Man City wonder kid, I'm told. I'm reading Man City wonder kid. Uh, I, I, he made a debut in a preseason friendly against Man United, didn't he? That and he then there's loads of talk about him. He's this good. He played this well. And now he's gone and done this in the under 17 tournament. Pep Guardiola's saying, oh, we would have got his debut in League Cup. I saw a tweet that I don't know if was real or made <laughs> up, but it said, Pep Guardiola said, oh, he scored two, did he? Where did they play him? I'll play him there when he's back. <laughs> uh, whether he's going to do that, I don't know. Whether I've just read someone saying a fake quote, probably. I'll believe anything. Guardiology. <laughs> exactly. I'll believe anything. George, Whoa. give me something to believe. Yeah, I mean, he he looks the, like the real deal. Um, a friend of mine works for Man City and told me oh, that he's... Name a, drop. Yeah, well, well not, 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 not going to his name. His, My mate who works at Man his, City uh, his, goes to another school. His, uh, <laughs> his, Kevin De Bruyne. his initials are a PG, uh, sorry, J, JG. Um, but he... <laughs> but he um, he told me before that, that this guy is, is is serious and is the real deal, um, and apparently the good thing about him is that he's got a very his head is very much screwed on. He's he's dedicated. He's sensible. He's bright, and um, everyone's very excited about him. But it's interesting to look at because if you look at the success that England have had in in youth um, tournaments this summer. There is no denying that we have um, the you know if, if the last one was a golden generation we've got I don't know what this one's going to be called the platinum generation or whatever we, we've got a we've got a seriously elite um, level of footballers coming through but then if you look at the England squads at the moment I think I worked out on the last England squad twenty one of twenty three players have EFL experience which means that basically players coming through um, yeah, Premier League academies without getting first team football experience do not progress into the elite footballers that their talents suge suggest they should. Um, I am an Oxford fan and we have a centre midfielder called Ryan Ledson who has played for England under 17s, under 18s, under 19s and would have been in the under 20s squad um, if, and in the team if he hadn't been injured in the summer. So he is, and he was getting close to the Everton team and he left despite being off a new contract and came to join us and he's class. And he's played two seasons of men's football, he's now 20 and he's a centre midfielder and he's brilliant and I'm sure he'll go on to play, to play in the Premier League. And he came out and spoke to the BBC and it's basically called on these players to go to their clubs now and say, if you're not going to play me, send me out on loan now. Because it's important now that these guys who have the talent have to play football. They cannot keep playing academy football now. They are nearly ready. Even Phil Foden, who's 16, what's going to happen? Or 17, what's going to happen if he stays in the City Academy um, for the next two years? What's going to happen if he's sitting on the bench maybe for a few games? Mm -hmm. These guys need to play. And so it's going to be really interesting now to see, A, how the FA deal with this, if there's going to be any pressure from them to ensure that these guys are going out there playing up against men, getting used to the, to the you know, to, to that competitive nature that is league football, or whether we're going to see the same again where these guys are going to have flitting appearances off the bench and we're never really going to see them progress into the players they should be. Even Marcus Rashford, I'm sure that if the injury crisis that saw Rashford come into the team hadn't happened, I don't think he'd be playing for Man U now. What is behind Ashley Fletcher in a pecking order? Exactly, I don't think he'd be playing for Man U now. And that is... That is 
just a complete that should be an electric shock throughout the whole of English youth team football to ensure that these guys are playing and get the chance to show what they can do Carl if anyone's going to do it is it going to be Pep Guardiola to bring him in and make him you know fulfil his full potential because we were talking earlier how everyone wants Pep to be their dad at Man City <laughs> like he's going to adopt Raheem Sterling as his son is um, he going to have brother Phil Foden to come along as well I hope so uh, so of the uh, Premier League managers that have under 17 players in there uh, there were comments from uh, Conte who told, told us of how one of his players travelled in, in the first team and so he's aware of one of them. Uh, Pochettino said he had one of the guys with him on preseason. he thinks he's a fantastic box-to-box midfielder. Uh, Klopp mentioned one player who was fantastic and was similar to Ben Woodburn and he would have played him last season but for an injury. Uh, I thought one of the interesting comments was uh, Roy Hodgson. So he has one guy in the other 17 squad. He goes, he's great, he's fantastic but obviously he said... I am not in a position to play a 17-year-old in at Crystal Palace right now. Of course not. Because he's in a relegation fight and he can't blood that youngster. But it's also his job on the line. Yeah. Like, why, why would you? Um, why would you take that risk? So that that's the worry. Uh, what Pep said about Foden, he goes, Foden's played in the World Cup. England will be world champions in that age when this guy will grow and play in a World Cup in future. He has lived that situation and knows what he has to do. There's an opportunity for Phil to stay here and play in the game against Wolves. Uh, but we believe when this guy's a chance to play in the World Cup, it's an amazing opportunity. It'll be good for his growth. So he said those comments before Phil went off. Um, the guy, he plays as a number 10. He's, you know, which I don't know if that's good or bad because City have a glut of 10. Yeah, but, 15 of them. But yeah, you know, hopefully, if he's you know, good enough. Yeah. if he's good enough, he'll play and he'll, he'll probably get a couple of games. He was player of the tournament. Uh, when everyone went up from under 16 level to under 18 level for England he stayed in the under 17s because he hadn't quite thickened out yet uh, he's a Stockport lad from what I understand he seems to be very very good and Man City fans are waxing lyrical about him because England's performance in that final was fantastic they went two goals down against Spain and just they redoubled their offense and they go 5 to yeah. up. so this is England under 17 world champions England under 19 and the 20 world You're champions. You're braver man than me taking this on. I thought about England it. England on 17 world champions. England on the 20 world champions. England uh, mixed squad uh, win the two non-tournament. England on the 23 semi-finalists. Uh, and I think England on the 19 has got something in the Euros. Uh, so there, at no point in, in, in footballing history has uh, one nation had three uh, youth teams win a their like respective regional tournament. So this is the very first time England's done it. Spain have won two at... Uh, youth level and Brazil have won two at youth level but this is the very first time England have done it something needs to be done I whispered it last time B teams um, boo yeah <laughs> great Actually, this, this is interesting Could we, obviously we've got an uh, uh, Oxford fan here Football League Club I'm boy- would I'm absolutely I might, boycott, I might boycott this podcast after that now. Uh, <laughs> I, I whispered it because I think I think the loan system isn't good enough, and I think B teams are slightly better. However, I, think the onus- I very, very, very much understand if you are of the opinion that B teams absolutely not. I'm like, yeah, fine. Cool. I, I'd say that the loan system is, is is a failure, but the onus on that to become a success is on the Premier League clubs, not on the you know there isn't for some reason there isn't the trust. Um, clubs don't have the trust to send their players, their best players on loan to the EFL. You, you look at how Pochettino, basically, it's the kiss of death when he sends someone out on loan now mm-hmm. these days. And that's not how it should work. It should be there as a, as a develop, development method. And um, there are very good coaches and the, the training facilities and the coaching methods in the EFL are, are improving rapidly. Um, and I think that B team should be a, a large resort. And even then actually shouldn't be a resort because the, the yeah, you know, the autonomy that we have over our EFL the unique uh, league system we have in England is basically more important than the, the development of these players. 
But you really love the Checker Trade to- Trophy, don't you? I haven't been to Wembley the last two years when we've been in the final. Oh. So, so it's the thing. There, there needs Pure. to be a solution. Uh, and whether that solution is the loan system or revamp the loan system, the quota system or... <clears throat> Um, look, I'm not. I'm not saying we have to do it, and we should tear up the EFL for that. I'm just saying, think about it. And if you thought about it, and you say no, I'm like, cool. I have no horse in this race because I don't support. E- I don't support a team in the EFL. Like, it's not my place as a Manchester, as a London-based Manchester United fan, to tell you what to do. Um, but it, it would be great to get these kids playing and playing together and playing in some form of unit going forward. Uh, Penny for Jaden Sanchez's thoughts. Oh yeah, Jaden Sanchez got called back by. Uh Call back by Dortmund and didn't get to hang out with his mates well, he, partying he, he, in Kolkata. At least he played though. Yeah. yeah. Which was good. I mean, it would have been annoying if he came back and didn't, didn't get on. But well, he only played as a sub, didn't I he? Know, he, he? He didn't play still, in the next game. Yeah. I mean, he's another one who's, who's very exciting. I can't, yeah. I can't wait for all this to, for all these guys to hopefully kick on. Also, like Phil Foden, he's 17. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, he's 17. That means he was born in the year 2000. <laughs> Not much has changed, but we live That means <laughs> the very first football tournament he probably remembers is World Cup 2006. We're all relentlessly ageing, my friends. As ever. I don't know. <laughs> Guys, time is eternal. <laughs> well, on that positive note, <laughs> let's move on to the Stat Showdown. Stat Showdown. It's time for a Stat Showdown. We were talking about mortality, time, ageing. All of those things are irrelevant when you're looking down the barrel of a stats cannon aimed by either George Ellick or Carl Anker. Today, starting the first stat, the best out of three competition for the the, the most bomb funk stat you can find, I guess. I'm going to go, Carl, you can, you can start this week. George has been here many times before. He's a withered old veteran. Uh, I'm going to start with Roma. Um, so we discussed, we touched on them quite lightly after they... <laughs> lol Chelsea on uh, Tuesday night so my stat is they're gonna they're gonna face Florentino away this weekend if they win Roma are gonna have the new record for the most consecutive Serie A away wins in history um, so yeah Serie A how many away back. wins is there a lot oh <laughs> god if you, I might as well go Serie A v Serie A um, I've already kind of mentioned Benevento but we're going back to them so as I, as I alluded to, they are on naught <clears> points after 11 games with a goal difference of minus 25. <sighs> they have, I mean, this is the stat now, they have scored four goals from 144 shots this season. Good Lord. <laughs> and then so spare a thought. 72 of them have been from outside the box. It's miserable. <laughs> it is miserable. Oh, no. Carl, I mean, you didn't come with the exact number of away wins. What did you expect? <sighs> You brought a knife to a bazooka fight. <laughs> George, you get that first, you get the first point. Cheers, mate. And you also can double down like that lovely new KFC burger that we're not sponsored by. But actually, yeah, it's all right. I had one the other day. I had to share it with someone. Hard to hold, but it's all right. Mm. <laughs> is there bread with it? I'm confused. No, no. It's the, chicken the chicken is the bread. Is the bread. Okay, that's and then there's a bunch of bacon in there. That's unbelievable, cheese. that. Yeah. Um, one from Tuesday night's Champions League games. Very simple. Celtics' Scott Brown completed more passes than all but one of Bayern Munich's players with 77. Only Rafinha completed more. Oof. All right. Second all right, best Celtic. Though, it? it's, I, mean, I, was, I, was, I was confused and surprised. A wacky stat for wacky stat for you. I do like a wacky stat. A Scottish man outpassing Bayern Munich is 
is wacky. But Carl, it's all on you. Right, okay. I'm going to give you some numbers now. I'm going to give you some numbers. Uh, so this weekend, Manchester United could become the first team in Premier League history to win 900 points away from home. Their current record is 899 points. That has come from 486 games, 258 wins and 125 draws. We don't talk about the 103 defeats. Oh, Carl. I'm sorry, but the final the final shot for you is going to have to be a consolation. Because oh, George has 2 0 it. Oh, my goodness. You can't believe it. But, Carl, come on. You, you, this one's for pride. If we if this, if this was Sunday League, I'd be the fat bloke in the middle saying, F some pride, lads. It's still no nil. Still no nil. <laughs> got to go in there, play well, so when you go back in the pub, you've got some pride. All right. Exactly. Here's something to touch on in terms oh, it's, of it's like... shaking your voice. Taking the feet well, are you? <laughs> all right. Uh, so touching on the fact we're all relentlessly ageing and mortality will take us all. Uh, do you know Theo Walcott is eligible for a testimonial Arsenal? Oh, God. Uh, he is now scored in 10 different Premier League seasons for the Gunners. Uh, if he scores against Manchester City, he will equal Dennis Bergkamp's club record of scoring in 11 uh, Premier League seasons. Oh my God, but little, he's only 16. Little fun fact on top of that, uh, Theo Walcott has more Champions League goals than original Ronaldo. I think that was, that, I mean, that's the stat, that one, isn't it? <laughs> oh my God. Um, mine is just one about um, Ivan Rakitic, who faces his former club Sevilla um, on, on the weekend when Barcelona hosts them. Uh, last season, it's just about as games change really, last season he was averaging 48.5 uh, attempted passes per game and an 85.8 success rate. That has increased now to 65.6 passes per game at a 91% success rate. So he's finally brought into that possession-based Barcelona style of play. Famously only went to Sevilla because on the day he was taken around the city, he met his wife in a coffee shop. That is nice. Sevilla's a lovely place. I it's recommend a lovely, it to lovely, lovely place. Really that, nice. That's adorable and way more interesting than the stat yeah, that you gave. Yeah, boring, wasn't it? You know, I'm going to tell, tell people that, that Theo Walcott nonsense. Yeah. <laughs> and they're going to say, what? And I'm going to tell people that, oh yeah, Rakitic passes a bit more this season. <laughs> and they're, they're going to boot me out the pub. They're going to say, you are so boring. If yeah. anything, you may have won this stat showdown. Cheers, mate. But you're the big loser <laughs> at the end. <laughs> but you are still the winner, which means, of course, you get to say first where people can find you on the internet. Um, yeah, so I'm on, on Twitter on at George Ellick, E-L-E-K. And Carl, commiserations, but if you want to get a few followers out of it, at least, where should they go? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Anchorman616. Uh, I'll be writing something for Republic of Mancunia soon about... Uh, Marshall FC and something I call Blackchester United <laughs> alright and I'm a huge part of that obviously <laughs> and you can find me at Rob Armstrong underscore WH and we can find you listening on Deezer or iTunes or any of those places that people do podcasts rate, review, subscribe all the stuff that all the young people say in videos and on podcasts we'll be here next week we'll all be a little bit older because time never ends Defending in Numbers is a Deezer Originals production You can find and download more episodes on Deezer and all major podcast providers.